you tired of brands marketing at you like you're a computer, not a human? We believe there's more to this business than worshiping at the feet of the algorithm. We're three marketers, Matt Banker, Paige Worthy, and David Hepburn. Marketing can be empathetic, ethical, and effective all at once. I am a fighter. This is Hello First Name, a marketing podcast for thinking, feeling humans. All right, we are here with Hello First Name yet again, the podcast for thinking and feeling humans. Uh, we do this thing live, which means people are welcome to join us in the room. I am excited. I'm, I mean, I hope some people are joining us today because I do think we have a good, interesting topic, which is about accessibility. You can find us on YouTube. We've got recordings. You can subscribe to email updates and hellofirstnamepod.com is where you'll find us on the web. So uh, today, like I said, we're going to talk about accessibility. David's going to deep dive into that for us, but I think we all have some thoughts and comments on it. My name is Matt Banker. I, I'm i in marketing. I do a lot of marketing with accounting firms. Uh, and yeah, that's me. Paige, what about you? <laughs> I'm Paige Worthy. I'm a StoryBrand certified guide and marketing strategist and copywriter. I call myself a radically empathetic marketing consultant, and I work with businesses that give a shit to create marketing that is grounded in empathy by humans for humans. And I'm David. I'm also a StoryBrand certified guide. I co-own Hepburn Creative Inc. in San Diego, California. We're a video production company that works with businesses and nonprofits all around the world to create videos that aren't just placeholders for you as a business or a nonprofit, but that actually move your audience to take that action that you want them to take. And David, you were you were just in Central America, right? I was. That's true. We were just in Guatemala uh, last week with a nonprofit. That's exciting. Yeah, we'll have to hear more about that. Maybe you won't be able to stop thinking about that in the end. You can tell us a little <laughs> bit about it. Well, we actually encountered a really cool use case for exactly what we're talking about here. Amazing. So I'm definitely going to share some of that here on the podcast today. Well, so that's a good segue, obviously. Uh, we're talking about accessibility and there's accessibility. Um, there's like a legal definition of accessibility and ADA compliance and things like that. And, and I'm sure we're gonna get into that a little bit, but there's also a bigger picture of what does it mean as marketers to, to be thinking about a, a wider audience from an accessibility standpoint. And so maybe David, can you give us kind of an intro? What do you, when you say accessibility, what do you mean? What Absolutely. Are you thinking about? Absolutely. I think a lot of us are, can be intimidated by the phrase accessibility. And I, I'm excited for this episode because I am here to tell you that yes, there is a legal side and a compliance side in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different verticals and industries. And even globally, there's different definitions depending on what country you're in, what makes legal compliance when it when we talk about accessibility. And this podcast is not gonna be about that because we are not, this is not a legal podcast. This is a podcast for thinking, feeling humans. And so I'm excited, maybe instead of talking about it as accessibility, uh, let's talk about it as how to be less invisible to your audience. Because the reality is right now, your business and nonprofit is invisible 
to a lot of people around the world and in a lot of different ways. And I know for me in our business, we weren't really thinking about that for a long time. And when it was brought up to me that there are these ways that you can be interacting with a broader audience, I was like, oh my gosh, why are we not doing this? Like, the, yes, there, yes, this requires some extra thought on our end, but the ability that you have as a business and a nonprofit to take some very simple steps to reach a bigger audience, that's what all of us want. That's what marketing is about, right? Growing that audience, the, the audience that we're trying to reach, we wanna reach more of them. That's what marketing is. And so for us to yeah. be able to do that in, you know, right now there's a lot of ways that we're not. And so when you, when you, uh, hopefully on this podcast, we can just talk about some of those ways where maybe you didn't even realize you're alienating some of your audience. And mm -hmm. just by just by implementing some really simple strategies, you can exponentially increase your audience without, you know, buying followers or without <laughs> doing anything like, oh, we got to come up with better content. You know, your content right now may be awesome and it's missing people. And so yeah. let's, we're gonna talk about today just what some of those ideas are to get you in front of more eyeballs and, and get you in front of more of the people that wanna be engaging with your brand. They just don't know you exist because you're invisible. David, I wonder if uh, in addition to being less invisible to your audiences, we could also look at this as your audience is feeling more seen by you. And not mm. only getting our content, getting our brands in front of those people, but also pulling them a little bit closer to us just by acknowledging like, hey, we we did this for you to make sure that you could access these Absolutely. things that we're creating. Um, so it's that it's that two way, the two way street. Totally. And it's also you bring up such a great point, And that's absolutely true. You. On top of that, even you're also, we all live in this, like we live and breathe this every day at our business or at our nonprofit and our audience doesn't necessarily in the same way that we do. Right. And so mm -hmm. we have this curse of knowledge, this curse of familiarity, even of saying, oh, of course, everybody knows this because I know this. And the, the reality is your audience may not. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot of cases where honestly, as marketers, we're just so we're so deep into our own understanding of the world and we're just not really aware actually of these yeah. other of i mean the reality of other people's lived experience how they interact with technology how they interact with marketing and so we just kind of operate on autopilot uh and yeah. and go about doing things in a way that works for us and seems to work for people that are like us and i, I feel like a big piece of this accessibility conversation um it's not it's not exact tactical things are important, but a big part of it, I think, is mindset and putting ourselves as marketers into a mindset of understanding um, that the world doesn't experience other people in the world don't experience it exactly the same way we do. So, Absolutely. David, maybe maybe we could start. What are what are some areas where just as a marketer, you're, you do yeah. a lot of video, you've kind of grown or, or recognized area. I, I'm going to put you on the spot. Like, where have you been weak in the past? Yeah. That you're now at a place of like, Absolutely. this is where we're trying to improve in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the really key ways that marketing with video has gotten better in even really recently has been through the implementation of captions on your video. And uh, it captioning has been around for a long time. I mean, I think we can all remember 
I mean, at least for me, I remember sitting, I, I can remember sitting in restaurants and like having the TV up in the corner, right, of the of the room that you're in and you're watching like those black and white captions scrolling along the bottom that are auto-generated and often terrible. Um, the good news is that technology has improved. Voice recognition has gotten better. Uh, and in fact, YouTube and Vimeo and a lot of the video platforms today are now implementing auto-generated captions. So the first thing is, if you're creating videos, you want to be doing captions. And the good news is that your videos may already have an auto-generated version appearing on your video automatically. The downside to me is that because you're depending on an AI to do that for you, or you know, a computer-generated live in the moment um, trying to hear what you're saying, that computer is not really listening for context. And so oftentimes, you know, it, especially, you know, in my experience with the English language, we have a lot of words that sound alike and uh, captioning can be pretty good at that, but doesn't always get it right. And so when you uh, go to the extra step of creating captions that are generated by a human, those are going to open your audience up to people who either are uh, hearing impaired, who may not hear as well as you do, uh, or, you know, an even bigger thing today is people that don't watch videos with the sound on. You don't even have to be hearing impaired. I'm that way. And I, I live and breathe in the video world. And you're a video dude. I saw, <laughs> in fact, I saw a, a, a person today had a poll on Twitter. One of the guys that I follow said, do you listen, do you, when you're watching videos in your feed, are you watching with them mostly with the sound on or mostly muted? And like over 75% of people were saying mostly muted. And so wow. you need to be thinking about your content being in front of people when they can't hear what's happening. And so captions are a really easy way to take that next step. And the cool thing is that not only have the big like video hosting sites like YouTube and Vimeo taken that on uh, as making that available to you, but even places like social media networks where Facebook can do it, Twitter can do it, LinkedIn Instagram's can do doing it. it, Instagram on is your doing reels. it now. Yeah, Instagram can and even do it automatically you, now. You actually can take those auto-generated captions and make edits to them. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, I saw someone calling out the fact that you can edit out your bleeps that it auto-generates, <laughs> which is relevant to my interests, even though I don't make reels. <laughs> but you can do it with other stuff. Like I've actually seen some uh, some like Instagram ads where the uh, where the auto caption didn't correctly pick up the name of the business that was being advertised. Right. right. And like, y'all read your captions <laughs> before they go out. Like, do you want to sell your product or not? Another great example so, of that is a URL. Yes. Is the URL. And if you're pointing yes. people to the wrong URL, you know, then you got to think about, I mean, yes, there's the whole world of, do you need to buy a hundred different variations of your business name? But like even your, your own, anything that you're generated, you should be making sure is correct. Mm -hmm. um, and the cool thing too, about captions that I, that uh, in terms of expanding your audience that I really want to hit on today too, is one of the things that we started doing that we weren't before is now you have the ability to have your captions translated into other languages around the world. And, in, and subtitling it. So captions are usually defined as the language that the video is posted in, which in our case, pretty much all the time is English. And then subtitling is 
translating that from the the natural language that's on the video to other languages. And so one thing that we've started doing at Hepburn Creative is for every single video that we create, we, whether it's for us or for a client, we are commissioning captions in English. And then we're also having that translated into Spanish. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the statistics today, and I, I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but Yes, English is a very common language. And again, this comes back to what you're, how you're viewing the world in your context. You have to remember that there's hundreds of thousands of millions of other people around the world that are also have access to the internet, but they may not speak mm -hmm. your language. And so by translating what you're, the content that you're providing into these other languages, it's an incredible opportunity to get your content in front of a whole new audience that a lot of people aren't doing. And mm -hmm. it, it's putting you a step ahead of your competitors if they're not doing it, right? Because yeah. if, especially if you're putting out valuable content to your audience and you should be, as you're trying to make that connection with them, and, and that's one of the really amazing ways that you can use video is by providing valuable tips to your audience that are within the, the vertical or industry that you're in. If you're translating those into other languages, you're reaching a much broader audience than you are just in the mm -hmm. language that is your primary language that you speak. I just did a little flash Googling and uh, discovered that as of 2015, so probably a lot more now. Um, according to the CIA, Spanish is spoken by 4.85% of the world's population, and its use is even more widespread than English, which is spoken by 4.83%. Yep. So I would venture a guess that there are even more people speaking Spanish now. Right. Um, and, right. and probably a, a lot of those Spanish-speaking people also speak English because um, the language of you know, business, I, kind of because because right. <laughs> colonialism. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk Which about. Which is a today. topic for a whole different podcast episode. We'll get there. I'll probably cover that one. <laughs> um, all right, Matt, you were starting to say oh, something. I was, was going to ask kind of a technical question, right? So when it comes to captions and and text, this might lead us into another conversation. Yeah. You have text that is readable by computers, right. and then that text can be translated and used in other places. And then you have text that is embedded into images and videos. And so right. um, a thing to think about is if you're, if you're a video editor, right, you can create a captions or a subtitles file to attach to it, right. and that gets read differently and can be translated in, you know, Google Translate and other things can, right. can grab that versus right. if you are editing and adding those captions like natively to the image files. Do you have any thoughts right. on that or? Yeah, absolutely. So as, as we move along on the continuum timeline of social media growth and, and technology just in our daily lives, you know, two, three, five years ago, you did not have the ability to upload that caption file or that subtitling file with your video. Whereas now today you have that ability. So mm -hmm. I really, depending on the, depending on the distribution platform, which can vary, um, most social media networks and YouTube Vimeo video hosting sites give you the ability to upload that separate file now. And then your viewer can enable that on their end. And so the, the risk you run by baking it into the video, like if you just put English, like Instagram is, is a good example because they used to not provide the auto captioning that they do now. And you used to have to bake that 
text into your video. And, you know, a use case for when you want to do that, and you have to decide this for your own business and nonprofit, is if you want to keep it brand like on brand and like use a specific font or mm -hmm. do things in a certain way. Um, that's a use case where baking it in can, can be valuable or you want mm -hmm. it to appear a certain way. I, I shy away from that though, because what I think is really empowering for your audience is the ability to select it on their own and then not. Mm -hmm. So like if you, if you have your captions baked into a video in English and then someone wants to enable Spanish captions, well, then they're looking at the Spanish overlaid on top of the English. And that's just makes for, you know, a legibility nightmare, which gets away from the whole idea of accessibility in the first yeah. place is suddenly yep. you're making it harder for them to engage with your content. Yeah. So by and even even with, you know, using, you know, your brand typeface or something like that, like that may not be suited to overlaying on a, absolutely you know a dynamic video absolutely. so you might be losing people there as well absolutely. so you know what suck it up get the white text <laughs> put it over a black background yep. like now's not the time to make things right pretty. there's a real challenge and balance a lot of times between creative choices and accessibility choices i think that's a reality that marketers need to be aware of uh, there's a lot of things that are inaccessible to certain communities or in certain situations. The use of specialty characters for like cool, like meme, um, you know, you hear like Unicode art in uh, in like on Twitter and things. Like those are very non-accessible, you know, a screen reader right. is going to read like slash, slash, period, right. period, asterisk, <laughs> right. you know, like that can be really obnoxious, um, but it's cool, right? Like it's a, it's, it's creative ways to use technology. Another great example of that is like on Twitter when people People use like whatever to make their font bold or italicized or whatever. Screen readers have a really hard time interpreting that. And so even though, you know, you're, you may look cool with your upside down name, you know, mm -hmm. some the <laughs> someone who is using a screen reader to engage with your content is going to have a lot harder of a time. Yeah. Also, yeah. you don't look that cool. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing before we get into that, and that's a great segue into talking about how accessibility, how we can bring that to social media. Before we get away from video, I just want to give one example that we encountered on our trip in Guatemala. So we were there with an organization that is providing a lot of incredible services to children in poverty, and they have a center in you know in in the community where these people live all over the country and i think they work with like 200 plus different communities in Guatemala and Guatemala is not a very big country. So it, you know, and then they work in 26 countries, 27 countries around the world. And so just you extrapolate that out to the thousands of places in these communities that this organization is working. They, these kids are coming every day or once a week or twice a week to this place to, you know, have access to con better uh, education, uh, access to food, access to health checkups, things like that. And so during the pandemic, that all went away because they, Guatemala as a country really clamped down and everybody locked down. Everybody had to stay home. And so it became this like, oh, okay, how do we, how do we pivot our, what we provide to these kids? Because the need is still very much there. How do we continue to provide for these kids during this pandemic when we don't know how long it's going to last? And so what they did is they created, they're like, let's use, you know, even, even though, you know, poverty is very much a, a thing in, in places in Guatemala, everybody technology is embraced differently in other countries. One of the things that often surprises us when we go internationally to countries like Guatemala is you end up having better cell phone service 
in the most remote places than you do in your own house back at home. And so it's 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 a shock to a lot of people of like, oh, my mm. gosh, what? I thought this was a, a a place where poverty was rampant. And it's true. But in countries like Guatemala, they're using technology in really incredible ways to connect with each other in, in ways that we don't do back here in the United States, or it looks differently than, you know, here in the United States. And so what they did is they said, let's use, you know, parents have cell phones, parents have smartphones, let's get content to them through video so that they can continue to, you know, be doing exercises and be learning, you know, the different, you know, curriculum type educational things that they were teaching them. And so they were like, cool, how do we do a green screen? And so they <laughs> went online and found videos available to them on how to go about creating video content. One of the guys that works at one of these, you know, community centers had never done video editing before in his life. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'll figure it out. And so he went online and just started learning and your content can be available to people like that. If you're translating out of your main language that you're speaking in the video to another language like Spanish. And so, you know, I doubt that there was a lot of content of it or, or maybe that's the wrong way to go about saying it. There could have been more content available to help them learn if more people were creating subtitles for their videos. And so that's just a really yes. powerful way for your content to be reaching a broader mm -hmm. audience. So it's really like if there had been better content available to the folks at this nonprofit on like, how the heck do you create video in Spanish? The language that they use to communicate, right. then it would have been a lot more simple for them to right. create this important content right. during. I love that. Right. I love right. that. And the, and the important thing I think is not to look back and say, gosh, we could have been doing this better. Like oh. I've, I've been there. Like I look back and it's like, mm -hmm. oh geez, why I can't believe stupid. Why wasn't I doing this sooner? <laughs> get rid of that attitude. Like just start today and be like, man, there are Let's some tools better. that we can do to better the way that we're engaging with our audience globally. Here are the ways to do it. Let's just go. Let's talk a little bit about social media um, and what we need. I, I think there's sort of, there's, we've, we've talked about maybe three categories so far, right? So there's, there's like, uh, we'll call it like a legibility category. So, you know, screen readers or hearing impairment, um, you know, the reasons that it's difficult from um, almost like a, a physiological <laughs> sense to like interact with content. Then there's um, like, we, we can maybe talk a little bit about inclusivity in terms of the actual language that we use. Um, and and maybe that's, uh, and then we talked about like, like different languages in terms of, you know, not everything in English. Right. So let's shift over to talking about social media. Let's start with that like legibility yeah. side of things. We, we talked about special characters and, and again, this is kind of that trade-off between like what is cool and funny um, right. and like a, a, a creative way to use a platform. And it is an exciting piece of how technology like you know, spurs on different ways of using it, but then you've got this question or this balance of how do you make it um, accessible? And so right. um, one thing that I've, I've seen is 
so meme format, for example, right? Like you've got text embedded into images. Yeah. Um, what is that? That is not accessible inherently to uh, to people. Um, let's talk about alt tags and like alt text, and then also maybe we can talk about how like in comments or, or different ways of using um, the technology itself to make that more accessible for people. It is relatively new on the social media side. So, uh, for example, on Twitter and Instagram, one of the things that you may have noticed recently is you have the ability to add a description of the image that you're uploading at, that is separate from the caption or the tweet that you're writing. And so what that is is an opportunity for you to just really simply describe the image like as you look at that image you describe what it what you see on the image so like mm -hmm. for example if i uploaded a picture uh, an image with text of the of a, of a of an image advertising this episode of the podcast and on that image it's you know some sort of background image and then text on it that says you know hello first name podcast episode three accessibility and marketing or how to be mm -hmm. less invisible to your audience. Someone who's who who doesn't have the same visual opportunities that you do may not be able to, you know, understand that image in the same way. And mm -hmm. so it's an opportunity to use an alt description to say background image of blank text, mm -hmm. text that reads hello, first name podcast yeah. episode three. And so it's just, it's, it's literally just an, a description of what you're seeing. And I've seen uh, some really interesting, uh, before, before Instagram introduced uh, inline alt tagging, uh, some, some more forward looking and committed to accessibility content creators were posting alt text in their captions. And there's an opportunity there to maybe take things even a step further instead of just saying, you know, uh, a woman holds a flower uh, sitting at a cafe table. Um, you could say a, uh, like a dark skinned fat woman with, you know, curly flowing hair holds, uh, you know, a daisy sitting at an outdoor cafe. And, you know, that, that brings, that brings that idea of, of inclusivity and really helping to draw people a little bit further into what you're talking about. And I, I have thoughts on accessibility and language and messaging that we're going to talk about in a little bit, but it's a real opportunity to lean a little bit into the commitment that you've made to language and voice and tone. And um, it, it doesn't just have to be cut and dried because for folks who maybe can't read or, you know, see exactly what's in the image, they deserve to get an experience of yeah. it as well. And if you think about that from a storytelling standpoint, especially in, as it mm -hmm. relates to marketing, if you're telling boring stories, fewer people are going to engage with you as a brand. And so when you take that opportunity, like Paige is talking about, to really lean into uh, painting a descriptive picture with your words, you provide more of an opportunity for even more people to engage in a in a way that velcros them on to what you're talking about. You know, one of the things that I just I think about in this conversation is thinking about accessibility. Again, this is like, hey, brass tacks, we're marketers, we're looking for ROI in a lot of cases. This is this is a commitment that actually does take 
time investment to think through these things. But I, I think an important part of that is to not think about it simply as, oh, this is like a liability issue or someone's going to get mad at us if we don't provide adequate alt text or we're going to get called out because such and such. And, and thinking about it from a mindset of opportunity, right? Like there is actually, you're not doing this just because you're supposed to or that someone is requiring it, but thinking about it as you know, part of being an effective marketer is what are those additional steps that you can you can take to increase the distribution or like accessibility in I mean from like a like effectiveness standpoint and you're going to get more it, I think it's easier or it's better to from when you're thinking about like why is this worth it there can be a tendency for us to think well I wish I, I'd love to be more accessible in my marketing but honestly I just don't have time to like put in the work. Um, I don't know. I think that's a real that's a real balance that people take or have to. I don't know if they have to, but they often do make those sorts of choices. And and again, like going back to that discussion about like creative decisions versus accessibility decisions, there are opportunities sometimes where you can still make the initial creative decision, but there's another way that you can also then make it accessible. One thing I think a lot about for social media is screenshots are a really important thing, especially when we're talking cross-platform, right? Someone yeah. screenshots a tweet and posts yeah. it on LinkedIn. A screenshot can't be read by a screen reader. And if you're not putting that descriptive text in there, um, or if you're not putting the text into the comment, you're limiting certain number of people that can interact with it. And yeah. And right. even if you're just a, if you're experiencing, if you're a follower, a way that you could help make some of this stuff more accessible is actually by doing the work of typing out what a screenshot says, right. or like Paige mentioned, you could write that descriptor of the image or the meme format um, for someone else. You don't have to be the owner to necessarily yeah. do that. So there's a ways for you to contribute to accessibility just as right. a participant, not even just as like the owner or the person doing the marketing. Right. Right. And the reality today, especially with social media, is it, it, it's a content machine, right? And so I think one thing that a lot of us face as we're generating content for our social media platforms is it's so much work to keep. It's it's just it's constantly eating your content. It wants more. It's greedy. Mm -hmm. And so we have this tendency to be like, oh, let's just post something. This is an opportunity for you to get intentional with what you're posting, because if you're having to take that extra step to to write out and make it more accessible, chances are you're gonna be a lot more intentional with what and how you post. And if that's something that you don't wanna do, like maybe you're a really small business and it's just you or it's just you and a couple other people, there are ways for you to have someone else do that for you so that you, because the, the return on whatever it is that you invest in doing this in, in all these different ways, video, social media, website, we're going to talk about in a little bit, like Paige mentioned, in, in even the language you use and the words you use everywhere in your marketing, like it is going to come back with value to you. It is not a waste. You are not doing it, ugh, because some people can't read this. Like there is value in you doing this. And the the really cool thing about it too is that you have the opportunity to put yourself in that position to be an empathetic marketer. Like it's not just the title that, you know, it's not just the tagline of this podcast of marketing for thinking, feeling humans. You are marketing your business and your nonprofit to very real people. 
in very real circumstances that are experiencing their life in a very different way than you are. It's just the math of it, right? Like, yes, there's people like you, uh, but there's a lot more people that aren't like you that are experiencing life differently. And so by growing the ways that you're being empathetic to others, you are just by nature of going through the process, expanding the opportunities that mm-hmm. you have to connect with more people and grow your goals of what, you know, whether that's to make more money with your, you know, small business or to grow your following. Like it's going to happen. It, it, yeah. it just does work because of who we are as people. Mm-hmm. Hey, Paige. Oh, I, yeah. I was just going to ask, you know, as our copywriter, uh, like official copywriter on the, on the call, yes. uh, Do you have any hot takes or soapbox moments just about accessibility in language? And I I mean, we can't cover everything. There's a lot, I think, that as as marketers, we got to be working on educating ourselves. But are there maybe kind of all too common mistakes that you see or that you think about? It's kind of putting you on the spot here. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's good. So this is this is something that I'm constantly evolving on as a writer. Um, but you know, I think we, we talked in our first episode when we were deep diving into consent about, you know, thinking, thinking about the different lived experiences of people who we want to interact with as businesses in our marketing and making sure that the tactics we're using to opt them into our marketing materials um, needs to take into account their different lived experiences. The language that we use in our all of our content um, and the even the pillars that ground our messaging to be as accessible as possible, we also want to make sure that we take those lived experiences into account mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, there there are a lot of ways that um, commonly used language can be ableist or othering. Um, even up uh, here we go. What we're we're thirty eight minutes in. I'm making my first mention of the Roe v. Wade decision. Um, I saw a post this morning on LinkedIn about, uh, you know, when you talk about this decision affecting women, mm-hmm. you're actually using othering and transphobic language. Whether you intend to or not, um, you're leaving out a whole subset of people, trans men, uh, you know, other queer folks who may biologically. Mm-hmm be able to get pregnant and give birth, but who don't identify as women, um, that can be a sort of accessibility challenge because you're making those people feel like they're not being seen. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. can that can cut out opportunity for you and make you look like a jackass, even mm-hmm. when you didn't mean to. You know, right. in there are so many different ways that we have to think about how we're showing up mm-hmm. in our marketing. You know, like there's nothing like the feeling of, you know, showing up and, you know, having a voice about something and then having somebody say like, oh, what you just said is pretty transphobic. Like, ah, what a terrible feeling. And it's just another opportunity to continue expanding our horizons and get better, right? Um, there's a there's an organization that I'm part of uh, here in, well, everywhere, but here in Chicago uh, called showing up for racial justice. 
And they chose that name for their organization rather than standing up for racial justice because even the idea of standing up for something has some ableist undertones. So at the risk of just like bowling people over with wokeness here, um, you know, I, I know that's how some people mm -hmm. react. Like, oh my God, like another thing we have to think about. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. you do. Yeah. Welcome um, to a lived experience in 2022 <sighs> in the world yeah. that we participate in. It's easy. And it makes it. Uh, it's easy it to roll it your eyes. So much but richer. You don't have to. It makes it makes everyone's experience so much richer. Like, what if we just made one another think mm -hmm. a little yeah. bit more? Um, so that's 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 all mm -hmm. part of accessibility right. for me it's you know making people feel included mm -hmm. right. with the language that you use um not using words in your your marketing campaigns like whoa that's crazy mm -hmm. you know because that's ableist toward people with mental illness um i personally love substituting wild there <laughs> Um, well, and it, you bring up, I don't know. It also feels really good coming out. <laughs> you bring up a really good point with that page, because I think it's easy to, when you come at this from a, from a, with a certain mindset, it's easy to, to hear you say something like that and be like, oh gosh, <laughs> there she goes. No, again. Not, not you, but like, <laughs> oh gosh, people are offended by that. And like, rather than come at it from a perspective where it's like you get frustrated that people are offended by something, take it as a learning opportunity as we yes. all should in our lives mm -hmm. to say, oh my gosh, I did not realize that using that language, like that saying crazy is, is such a, you know, has those under, like, do I, have I experienced that in my own life? Like, have someone come to me and say, said, hey, I, I'm really hurt by that. No, yeah. but I've heard people like you, Paige, talk about mm -hmm. that online and be like, oh my gosh, that's something that I wouldn't have even considered. I'm so mm -hmm. glad that someone brought that to my attention because it's an opportunity to grow. Like we all yeah. should be yep. seeking those opportunities out. So a lot of it really comes down to, like Matt said, it's mindset, it's an mm -hmm. intentionality, yep. and it's a choice. Like you're choosing to be more empathetic toward other people. And that just comes from yeah. a deflection of self to say, how can I be a better lived person in the community yep. around me, mm -hmm. both here, yep. wherever you are in person or in the increasingly global reach that we have online? Bonus points. If you're thinking more about the language that you use to be more inclusive and accessible, you might come up with some really kick-ass words that help you stand out that much Absolutely. more. Like if you're not resorting to, honestly, like kind of lazy commonplace language that could veer into that ableist or othering territory, yep. great, mm -hmm. you could come up with an amazing turn of phrase that nobody else has thought of because you forced yourself to get a little bit more creative. Yep. Yep. Well, and I would say, I, I think there are people out there other marketers who maybe maybe are not there personally like they are they are giving the like uh like another thing i have to think about reaction and i might make an argument that says hey as a professional marketer like you have to know this stuff like this is not stuff that you can ignore because even yeah. just from like an effectiveness standpoint this is the world that you do live in and if you want to create problems for yourself 
um, you know, continue to be ignorant continue. about this kind of stuff. And, and so even if you're not 100% there yet, I, I think you should be getting there and should be educating yourself and be doing it because it's right. But if all you need in this conversation is to hear, like, also you need to do it because it's like yep. the thing you need to do as as a marketer. Absolutely. I feel like people are going. You're going to get left behind if you dig yep. in your heels you're and say, "Going to be stuck back right, here." You're gonna. You're not gonna be. You're not understanding that, where we are really. <laughs> beyond that, whether or not you're willing to accept that that's the reality, and if you are in a place, if you're listening to this and you're like, "Oh my gosh, all three of them are harping on this," I feel personally <laughs> attacked. This is ridiculous. The reality is regardless of whether you're going to get left behind or whether society, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's all of that. That's all super important to us on this podcast. We hope it can become important to you. <laughs> but even if you're not there yet, let me tell you, by embracing some of these things, you will make more money. Mm -hmm. You yeah. will grow your audience. And so purely from a selfish standpoint, which yes, at this point, we're calling you selfish yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it really is about others in today's world. Like we have to consider other people in our community. If all you wanna be is selfish, which we hope you grow out of, but if you're, if you're in that place, right now, what we're telling you is going to make things better for you personally. And even if yeah. you just go through the motions, we start. Also, there's nothing wrong with making more money. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not team jag bag here, but like, yes, let's make more Absolutely. money. Absolutely. So like, if, if that's what drives you. Do these you things do you, because you're going to be. You do yeah, you. Exactly. I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of frustration that people maybe who are more conservative than myself have about like wokeness in marketing and from corporations. I think it's, I mean, I think you got to realize I'm, I can be pretty cynical about the motivations behind these corporations. They're not doing it necessarily because they think it's like the right altruistic thing. No. It's wow. because they're making money. It's like they, this is their audience. Their audience cares about it. And yeah. so right. even if you don't you care don't about it, you want to get yeah. canceled. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Well, right. Okay. Well, and a great, before no. we, just one last thought with that, the, the way that you can tell in marketing is the switch from June 30th to July 1st. And we're mm. about like, we're, we're four <laughs> days away from that. Right. Oh. Like pride retirement. Right. Like, that that is a like what we're talking about here really does need to be something that you live and breathe beyond just pride month or beyond black you know history month. black <laughs> history month or you know a lot of these different like designated months i saw someone say on twitter like there are not enough months in the year or days in our lifetime to platform every single marginalized people group that over the, the the days behind us have been marginalized that we're trying to draw attention to. There's just not enough days. And so it's an ongoing process where you need to be thinking about this on a regular basis. It needs to drip into everything you do. And the, the, the good news is it's gonna get easier the more you do it. It's like anything else in your business, the more you practice it. Like if you think back to whatever it is that your business does or your nonprofit does in the early days when you were just learning about how to do it, stuff took you so much time. And now you're like, oh yeah, I can get that done. No problem. Yeah. It's Dude, I think about my first, like writing my first brand yeah. script and like seeing, seeing what the new folks are struggling with every day. And like, I feel like I could write a brand script in my sleep some days right. now. Like it's, it becomes a reflex. Right. So get your reps right. in, fam. Right. Like anything else, start forming those positive habits. Yeah. Well, let's uh, 
Give yourself cookies if you need to. <laughs> I, I need to give myself more cookies. I think that that's some really great advice. Um, I support you. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's kind of end and talk about websites. Uh, yeah. Every company has a website. And this is my, where I might veer into a little bit of the the legal side. I think a I was lot of conversation say, we absolutely talk a little bit about has that. been around, uh, around legal liability. And this is an area. So I come from a website design background. I have a, an art degree and, and I have always kind of thought of myself as a marketer, as a bit of a designer first. And I'll be honest and say like accessibility from a design standpoint was not on my radar for a very long time. Uh, it just, you know, it didn't come up in design school. Um, it didn't seem to be a priority uh, in terms of like anyone talking about it on the web. But I do find, especially in the last few years, this has really like gone become a much more um, recognized issue. And part of it is that there is a legal liability. There are businesses that are getting sued because their websites are not uh, ADA compliant. And, you know, the likelihood of that happening is kind of low, I would say, you know, as of now, but there is low, but growing, low, but growing. And, And I would say this is okay. This is not I don't want to be tactical about like you should be choosing to be accessible based on your own risk, but there are certain industries that people with disabilities um, that are using screen readers and things are interacting with more often. And and if your business is in that space, the likelihood, you know, medical organizations, um, a lot of nonprofits that serve populations of people with disabilities, if you're not thinking about access accessibility, there actually is a real risk. and marketers often don't realize that this is that this is even a thing and so designers who are building websites and designing websites who are not aware of accessibility guidelines and aren't thinking about it could be setting up their clients for a pretty like difficult situation and if if your client gets sued because their website is not accessible and you were the one to design it who do you think they're going to call first like <laughs> this is not something that they're expecting to be responsible for. Yeah. It's something that they're right. expecting you to be responsible for. Right. So, right. Matt, and- didn't you say? Didn't you say like the the umbrella of organizations that need to have ADA uh, accessible websites or ADA compliant websites is. It has to do with like the number of full-time employees well, you have, right? There's there's two pieces to that guideline. There's Title One. This is like I'm not a lawyer. Okay, please don't. I was going to say this advice. is this is the part of the show where we interrupt to say this is our disclaimer. This is not a legal podcast. This is not legal advice. Yeah, we're also not doctors. Right. We're not doctors. Um, so legally, right? You've got Title One and Title Three in the accessibility guidelines. One has to do with employees, right? So you have to have um, you have to be ADA compliant as an employer, and so that's the one that mm. that refers to the number of employees that you have. And so if your employees are interacting with your website um, and you have more than fifteen employees, you have to have you have to fall under. This is my understanding. The ADA compliance is going to apply to you from like an employer standpoint, but if you have less than 15 employees, you still have the public usage, which is, I think, what Title III is. And so it's not that if you have fewer than 15 employees, you can ignore ADA compliance, but there is that like 15 employee mark is a 
kind of specific marker um, that's going to put you at higher risk. And I, I was just meeting with a client the other day, and we were talking about how their um, their website from a color contrast ratio, they, they had this really nice design, but the colors, it was like this tan button with white text. Um, and it would not, it, it's unreadable um, for people with uh, with like a certain love, color blindness, color blindness, and like low, um, I don't know what the right, low, right. low visibility, right. uh, and and they were like, oh, well, they did a quick Google search. One of the guys in the meeting was like, oh wow, you know, yeah, this applies to us. We never thought that this was important, and a lot of businesses don't realize that yep. that that this is an important thing that they need to be thinking yeah. about. Right. If right. you uh, if you want to know, like, hey, does my business fall under this? Um, I just found a pretty straightforward article on what business business news mm-hmm. daily that we'll link in the show yeah. notes if you want to take a look at what it means to have an accessible yeah. website you can go down a deep rabbit yeah. hole on this right. stuff and um, and there are actually businesses that specialize mm-hmm. in ADA compliance for websites Matt I know you you worked with yep. someone when we were working on the rise.org mm-hmm. website together yeah there's um, there's sort of three ways you can approach accessibility on on a website so like baseline, this is like the cover your ass version is I've seen websites, and this is not one I would recommend, but I've seen websites that basically put a, a, a statement on their, an accessibility statement that says, we're trying to be accessible, but we know we're not. This is my interpretation of it. Um, <laughs> but basically Great. it's like, we're aware of accessibility guidelines, please don't sue us. But they're essentially saying we're not really going to do anything about it, but we're aware and this is this is our, you know, cover cover your ass sort of version. Um, right. The second one is there are there are plugins uh, and like software that you can do, you can add to your website that brings you up to a certain level of compliance. And this doesn't, this isn't ideal, but it is a step forward. And the problem is the problem with accessibility in websites is there are some guidelines, but the people that use tools to help them, like screen readers, there's no consistency across the internet on how coders code websites. And so the tools have like found ways to do the best that they can with what they're experiencing. But it also means that you as a, as a coder, there's no set of standards that like you have to or should um, apply in, in every case. Um, you know, there are examples of like what if you use all caps in your titles, like screen readers sometimes read those out individual letters, but not all screen readers in all cases do that because there's not a consistency in terms of the, the way it gets applied. Um, but you can use you can use a plugin. Um, Accessibly is a software and I, I've talked with their their sales team. We use it. We're implementing that right now on one of our client sites um, that gets you pretty, pretty good. Um, it, it does address some of the underlying issues that a lot of websites experience and make it easier for screen readers. Um, the third way that you could, and this is probably the best, but is very expensive, to be honest, is when you work with an ADA consultant who's going to audit your site and they're going to give you a punch list of these are the things that need to be addressed. And so we've worked with um, a guy here in the Twin Cities who does who does some of that work. He mostly does uh, like speaking and consulting at this point. Uh, his name's Joe Dolson. Well, we should put a link for him as well. Look at th- this is this is dark social, by the way, guys. When we mention people on our podcast, Joe's analytics are not tracking him. This is that's my callback to previous episodes. Circling um, back. And now let's take it a step further and say <laughs> by having a transcription of captions for this episode, if you yeah. put that on your website, 
then he can know that we've mentioned him because it yeah. can be can, picked can up. When I think about website design compliance, the big thing that you need to think about, um, like the easy, quote unquote, easy thing to think about is the colors that you're using. Um, there's there's some good checkers out there that you can use. They can scan your website. They can tell you this is, this is what you need to change. Um, for designers out there, you just got to know you can never use white text on an orange background. Like no matter how like strong it is, it never passes that compliance check. And there's a few other color combinations that tend to show red, up pretty Red often. on video is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. You can't use red because particularly projectors, but TVs do this also. Like if you've ever seen red text on a video, it makes it really hard to read. The yeah. For whatever reason, the technology that presents that image, that processes that image for us, doesn't read it well. And so, that's another thing you got to watch out for. So the color contrast is a big thing. We talked about image alt tags and descriptions. That's something that you should be doing as well. Um, one of the areas that I think is really interesting is uh, there's kind of a debate. So uh, for those of you who are SEO marketers, right? From an accessibility standpoint, the H tags that you use is a way to organize information in terms of importance. And for designers and SEO people, a lot of times we play pretty fast and loose with those H tags because we're just thinking about it from a visibility, like a like a design standpoint, not an important standpoint. And so like a heading is supposed to kind of give you like this is the big category we're talking about. And then you go to an H2 and it's like the next category. And so an H3 should be inside of an H2 tag as because they're thinking about it as like content organization. And when we write, so a, an example is when we write a really catchy headline, that's really, it's copy, right? Like it's it's part of the text. It doesn't, doesn't like set aside, this is a section. That should be typically in like a paragraph tag, not in an H tag on a website. Right. Just really right. big. It's and that's big. and that's what we'll do too from a design standpoint is you'll say, oh, I want this text bigger, so I'll use an H1 tag. And because mm -hmm. you know, whatever you're building that website in by default is going to configure it mm -hmm. again because of like how we view the importance of what it yep. of the text. It's gonna make an H1 tag be larger just by default. Mm -hmm. Instead, what you should be doing is is thinking about this, like what Matt's talking about, where what is the actual level of importance and how does it fit into the structure of your copy mm -hmm. and then choose the appropriate h tag and then go that extra step and say yes this is an h3 but on this page for design i want it to be larger and you've got to go in and set some custom css to or html to mm -hmm. to tell this you know the yeah. the render of it make this larger yeah. but don't use an h1 just because you want the text bigger yeah yeah, and this is this is another argument for having a really good relationship if you're if you're a copywriter, say, uh, with your designer yeah. or a developer, so that you know someone should have a really good working knowledge of you know, mm -hmm. hey, this is important visibly, yeah. but on the back end, either for SEO for accessibility, like that's not right. the thing. So being able to have that conversation about design hierarchy versus on-page SEO right. hierarchy. Well, right. And there things. is a conflict, though, too, between 
what an SEO person says is most important and what actually makes sense from like a, a, a content organization. And that's another one of those areas well, where yes. sometimes you have to make a choice. And, you know, with uh, rise.org, that site, they made a choice that they wanted to prioritize accessibility over like SEO best practices. Because SEO often wants to like do it's not keyword stuffing exactly, but they want to get keywords into those title tags that right. maybe yep. don't make sense in the information hierarchy. Right. And so you, right. you're going to have to make that decision. Right. I mean, ultimately, I would like us to move in a direction where that accessibility piece takes more priority. And I do think that Google is somewhat aware of these things as well, where that's the direction I would see things going from a technology standpoint. Um, but there's a there is a bit of a conflict right now between sometimes what are your most effective marketing practices versus what are the right ones from accessibility right. or for other right. reasons. So. Right. And if we even take a step back from that compliance aspect, which is, it really is important. Mm -hmm. And like we've already said, even if you don't feel like this is important, we're telling you now, this is something you do need to be thinking about for a lot of different reasons. So this is not like to shame you, but this yeah. is a, hey, if you haven't been thinking about this, start because it yeah. really is important. If we take a step back from that, just from purely a legal standpoint and a risk standpoint and a compliance standpoint, there's also just the way, again, going back to actual humans and being empathetic toward how people are engaging with your content, it's important to even look at like on a desktop screen, which remember there's a lot of different sizes. And so you gotta be mindful of that, of how your information's presented. I know that for me, it's easy to like be designing a website and get lost in the, it looks great on my giant monitor. Not everybody has that giant monitor. Some, someone might have a smaller laptop. I've gotta consider how my images and how my copy appears to someone on a different size screen. And then even going, to the responsive side of things and thinking about how your the layout and the structure of your site appears on mobile you know sometimes mm -hmm. you've got like we had an issue on our site where we've got an image and then text on the right and then the next is the image on the right and the text on the left and then one more time image on the left text on the right uh, as a third row and that looks fine on desktop but then when you when that all stacks into the mobile then it starts to look really quirky and so we had to like take some steps to make sure in the code that mm -hmm. on mobile this appears the way we expect it to just because purely by thinking about design and infrastructure of your site mm -hmm. how that appears to people so compliance is super important and just allowing humans to engage with it the way you expect them to across the variety of different devices mm -hmm. is also super important and Dan, I think your point there about, you know, making sure that your your image stacking on mobile doesn't look wonky, like accessibility isn't just for people with disabilities, like it's, it's for, for people's general pleasure in experiencing your content, right. like just taking that little extra bit of time, like I'm, I'm working on a website design right now where you know, there, there are a lot of sort of custom features and we're overlaying images on shapes and it gets a little wibbly as you start to reduce the breakpoints. And like, it's, ugh, it's kind of a mess, but like, I want it to look good for everybody who sees this, not just people who are, you know, staring at things, like you said, from my big ass monitor. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a great point. And there, there are a lot of things to think about. There's some like easy takeaways. If you're if you're a video person, you should be really thinking about 
captions and language. I think like start yep. there. That's yep. the, if if there was a topic we we covered, that was it. If you're a copywriter, you really need to think about like what kind of language you're using and maybe evaluate mm -hmm. the inclusivity of the words that you're choosing. And I'll say if you're a designer, you should you really need to be aware of what the like compliance guidelines are from a web standard uh, point of view. And those are yep. like really easy places to start and you know it is just a start that's that's where you, that's you can go very deep um and we should always be trying to improve um in whatever yep. area we're we're focusing on yeah uh what david what can you not stop thinking about right now i can't stop thinking about a really cool opportunity that I just learned about recently uh, from an organization called World Relief. They have a, just with everything going on in the world right now, there are more people globally having to flee their homes for a variety of reasons than ever before. It's unfortunately a growing need in the world. And so those refugees need to go somewhere. And there are, there is, uh, to an extent, an infrastructure that has been built over the decades of how different countries like the United States handle processing those refugees and allowing them to resettle and helping them find, you know, providing them with services and helping them get their legs under them or helping them get established, we'll say, thinking about this from an ableist standpoint, not saying get their legs under them, but being able to be rooted where they now are. Are, um, one of the things that World Relief provides is a really cool program called the Host Home Program. And you, as someone who owns a home, might have the opportunity, you, you do have the opportunity to, if, if you so choose, provide a space in your home for a family or an individual that needs a place temporarily to stay with you. And so we, my wife and I have started to the, just inquire about this possibility of, you know, we have a little guest suite that's attached to our house that has a separate entrance with a bathroom. It's, it's, it, fabulous. it's, we've spent the last six months making it a really cool space. Like I basically said, if this was a hotel room that I was going to stay in, what would I want it to have? And we've just built it from that standpoint to, you can take a space in your home and you don't have to go to the lengths that we did, but like you can make a space in your home available to a family or an individual that needs it for a week, two weeks, a month, a couple of months. It, it's really up to you. World Relief makes it really easy to just allow someone a space to like land while they work on getting established wherever they are. And so if that sounds like something that you'd be interested in, I'd really encourage you to explore it. And I'll I'll put a I'll put a link to that in the show notes because, you know, not only are you providing someone a place that's safe and can be a peaceful place for them in whatever they've encountered, but it's an opportunity for you too. Like in the last couple of years as we've worked with and and encountered more refugee families and immigrant families to the United States, man, it has resulted in some of the most awesome intense connected happy friendships and moments of our lives to do that like don't oh, be I afraid that. of that like it's an opportunity like built in again like this whole conversation there's not just benefits to the, your audience like there's a benefit to you too in this so world relief's host home program really cool that's what i can't stop thinking about Paige, what about you other than well there yeah there's, there's some things yeah, there's several things that we're i can't stop thinking things. about with, with that said, um, I'll go a little bit lighter. I was up in Wisconsin over the weekend, and as I was driving from 
the house up to grab a drink with my husband, I saw a an all black billboard with white text that just said, surely not everyone was kung fu fighting. <laughs> And it just took me all the way out. I don't I don't know if it was advertising something or if somebody just said, what the hell, I've got a few hundred dollars. I think I'm going to put this billboard up. But um, on a, a fairly cloudy weekend for me, uh, it really offered a bright spot. And I kind of can't mm-hmm. stop thinking about it. So now you are, too. What about you, Matt? Well, I mean, I the just the, the top... For those of you listening later, this is we're talking on Monday, June twenty seventh, so it's right after <clears throat> the Roe v. Wade decision, and and just thinking about this is not my real one. The one I can't think stop thinking about is is how um, <laughs> it's just on social media, like how awful it is um, when when we're trying to when we're trying to discuss anything of importance, like the inability yeah. to actually have have real conversations. And so I do appreciate. What you want nuance <laughs> or something? Yeah, I mean, okay, unrealistic. But um, no, you know the the thing I have been thinking about is one of my favorite shows from last year was uh, on HBO. It was called Station Eleven. Um, if you've not watched it, it was it was great. It's it's I, I listened to a podcast this week about the show creator, and they started creating this show, which is about a a world where most of the population dies in a pandemic. But they uh, started creating it before. Um, I think it's really cool of them to do a documentary. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's based on a book as well. It was before the pandemic started, um, but yeah, it's by Emily Emily St. John Mandel is the name mm-hmm. of the author. She's fabulous. I recommend. Yeah, her it, books. I mean, it, and it was a great show. Uh, and just hearing the conversation about it again made me just remember uh, the the guy who the showrunner was also involved in the Leftovers, which was one of my favorite shows. Um, it's a little bit dark, but it's really about like what what does it take to like create connection after you know po- most post post apocalyptic shows are about how awful it gets and and this one is really kind of about how connection with other people is the way like it's it's not just a nice bonus but it's actually like necessary for creating a society that wow. works and anyway uh, it's a great show I totally recommend it um, if you've not watched it um, it is it might be a little too close to home for some people um, based on I actually couldn't yeah. finish it it was it was too much for me right now but I know uh, after hopefully we get some distance <laughs> from this hot mess express we're on uh, it I've heard it's just phenomenal. So I think I think it is. So well, let's. Um, I think we should leave it there. Uh, I'm Matt Banker. I'm Paige Worthy. And I'm David Hepburn. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Hello First Name Podcast, a podcast for thinking, feeling humans. We'll see you next time. I am a-